to a very special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timoninny. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Tony-nominated writer and creator Joe Iconis. You might know him from some of his shows like Be More Chill or Broadway Bounty Hunter or Love and Hate Nation, or from the songs that he contributed to the second season of Smash, or from the untitled, unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson musical, which made its premiere at the La Jolla Playhouse earlier this year. But for over a decade now, he and his family members, which we will get into in our conversation, have been entertaining people this time of year across New York City with the Joe Iconis Christmas Extravaganza. After having to take three years off because of the pandemic, they're back with their 13th annual celebration. And when I tell you that there is an unbelievable number of stars attached, I certainly mean that. As Joe and I discussed, there are over 50 people in each of the six different performances that'll be happening at 54 Below Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Some people will be there for all six shows. Some will just be there for one or two, but it is an unbelievable amount of talent that Joe is bringing together for these performances. I talked to Joe about what first inspired the Christmas extravaganzas, how he would define them and their very particular brand of kookiness, what it takes to be a member of the Joe Iconis family, and much more. Perhaps most importantly, Joe tells me an unbelievable story of one of the years that things got a little bit out of hand at one of the Christmas extravaganzas, and he actually had to have security throw out two people who... Honestly, I can't even imagine why they showed up in the first place, but it's a great story, so you have to check that out. In the show notes, of course, we'll have information on how you can purchase tickets to see the 13th annual Joe Iconis Christmas Extravaganza featuring Annie Golden and more from December 8th through the 10th at 54 Below. You better hurry, though, if you want to get tickets because they are selling very, very fast. All right, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with the one and only Joe Iconis. Okay, Joe, so this has been going on for quite a while. Yes. And I think people in the theater community know that this is not a traditional holiday concert. It's also not really a musical proper. So for those of us who haven't seen it or have only seen like the videos and clips and stuff, can -hmm. you explain what exactly (laughs) the Joe Iconis Christmas Extravaganza is? I can, yeah. So it is a, um, it is basically a full-blown Christmas musical that is pretending to be a Christmas concert. It is an extravaganza that is inspired by things like uh, the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special, things like the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular, things like Charles Bush's Times Square Angel. You know, I I grew up really loving Christmas and I love the, um, I've always loved the 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 conceit of the Christmas special, you know, this thing like where um, you know characters you perhaps know, characters you don't get to mingle and uh, exist in this kind of like capsule that's solely about the uh, trappings of the holiday. And so this is a show that is really irreverent. It's you know very wild, uh, and it's like slightly profane, but. It has a real uh, a real heart to it. You know, it's made by people who have a love of uh, not just the holidays, but of, you know, theater and family. And um, yeah, so it just kind of feels like a really, you know, insane uh, Christmas party um, that's, uh, you know, that's just filled with uh, 70 of your your closest friends and enemies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you mentioned it, a love of family, and we're going to get back to the whole idea of, of family here in a little bit. But yeah. this is kind of 
a family reunion because it's been a few years since you've been able to do one of these because of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, we had done 12 years in a row of the Christmas uh, extravaganza and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger each year. And then uh, obviously the pandemic hit and we weren't able to to do it, you know, and that that was really it was really hard that first year because for myself and so many of my friends and collaborators, it had become, you know, a tradition that was just as important to all of us as our, you know, family Christmases or Hanukkahs or whatever. And so to be without that was really hard. And then, you know, and then like the next year theater wasn't really back. And then next year there was a surge, you know, and so we couldn't do it. And so this is the first time since 2019, we've been able to come back to it. And it's really been uh, something being in rehearsals, and, you know, and experiencing this show that has hold, held such a you know huge place in so many of our lives um, to, and to be able to do it again and to welcome new people uh, who, you know, we didn't know the last time we did this show. It really is like it, it um, you know, the episode of the bear, the, the fishes episode yep. uh, where it's like the, you know, like the Christmas Eve from hell, the the good parts of that. Uh, are not dissimilar to what it feels like to rehearse and perform in this Christmas extravaganza. Maybe some of the bad parts too. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying that Sarah Paulson and John Mulaney are going to just show up for a random uh, song or two? Not no, man. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, speaking of that, I'm obviously the legendary Annie Golden is kind of getting top billing in in a lot of the press materials. Yes. Um, but. Currently, I went and checked. I counted them all on the 54 Below website. There are 37 different people listed as being in it. You mentioned 70 earlier, but it did say that more stars were being announced. So how do you do this? Do you just like do an open invitation to everybody in your contacts or is it like everybody in your close friend circle? Do you just say like, come one, come all, we'll figure out something for you to do? There's, um, it is, it is the most specific casting <laughs> experience there could ever possibly be it's actually the only way that this show works is if it is cast uh within an inch of its life there's nothing left to chance there's nothing casual about it if um and the casting the casting um uh organization that we use for the christmas extravaganza is the uh the joe iconis casting services um, <laughs> with just me uh, you know, <laughs> asking specific people um, because everyone has a different part. The size of everyone's parts are really different. And so it's the kind of thing where I'm like, okay, I know that AJ um, can do the show this year, but he's not really available for our five rehearsals. And so I'm going to write something for AJ that if he can't make any rehearsal, he can just read it from a card. Like that character will have to be some kind of announcer. It's like that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, um, you know, this person has a ton of availability to rehearse this year, so they're going to get a huge part. Uh, and everyone who's in the show is someone who is like, they all have to be great actors. They all have to be um, uh, good to great singers. They all have to be willing to dance. <laughs> good, great actors, good to great singers. So I like the differentiation there. There's a difference, you know, yeah. um, willing, willing to dance. And then we need like four people who are really good at dancing, <laughs> you know, um, a few people who are willing to like wear something skimpy, you know, a few people who are willing to wear like full body costumes where you can't even see their face. It's a very strange, specific thing, um, but it's just what makes the show the show. And so our, we have a cast of 50 at each at each performance. Uh, and it's not the same cast at each show. There are some people who do all six, some people right, do right. five. 
we'll do one, you know. And so it's this really mind exploding uh, carousel of actors. To rehearse it is a uh, it is a oh. feat which uh, I have never never experienced. And you know, I've worked at all um, at all levels of the theater. I'm really used to like making you know, ragtag theater and basements and do it yourself stuff. And obviously I've done shows on Broadway and the West End and I've had shows in Tokyo. And uh, there's just nothing that compares to the level of of uh, stress uh, and uh, and talent and just like, you know, uh, digging in your your heels kind of work uh, that is required to make this Christmas extravaganza as extravagant as it is. Well, you mentioned the fact that there are six shows there. It's Friday through Sunday this week yeah. at seven and 11. Now, yeah. based off of everything I know about the extravaganza and off of the press materials, there seems to be a, at least a decent amount of alcohol consumed uh, throughout the course of each evening. So I would imagine that mm-hmm. those those late night shows might be a little bit more raucous than the earlier ones. Is that a fair assessment? It's you know, it really depends. It really <laughs> depends um, because. The thing about the Christmas show is that as as much as it is this fun, festive party vibe, it also really is it's a piece of theater. And so the audience is required to listen to the words and to behave as they would at the theater. And so it actually creates this really nice tension where some people, you know, decide, oh, I'm going to go to this thing wasted. And then they very quickly are like, oh, no. I have to I have to actually like try to keep myself together, um, which people do like the audiences are so are so incredible. Uh, But, you know, we've definitely over the years, we've had a few, you know, a few rowdy audience members. When we did it in 2019, there were these two guys who it was so weird. They um, they were very they were very conservative Republicans uh, who came to the show and uh, they were really drunk. I don't know why they came. On accident? Was, did they did they stumble was, no, in? They, uh, they, it was actually, I mean, the honest reason was that one of them really liked the song, the goodbye song, which is a song that I wrote. And so they came to this show um, uh, because they liked this one song, which is performed in the show. And, uh, but they also, they were like young. It was very strange. And they were, um, and they were, they were so drunk and they were just the world's worst audience members and um and i i had them thrown out right and so i which is really hard because i'm on stage the whole two hours and i was like these guys they're out of here and so you know i i passed on a uh you know a whisper it was like a whisper campaign through the theater or one of the (laughs) people like told the stage manager and like we had to get 54 and eject these guys and so they went to throw them out and one of them ran into the bathroom to like hide and he was like you're not getting me like all during the show right so it's like (laughs) This like young, drunk, conservative Republican runs into the bathroom to hide, like barricades himself in there. And so the 54 below is like, um, I guess we have to like call the cops or something because this guy won't leave the bathroom. And so eventually people went in and like dragged this guy out of the bathroom. And my favorite thing is that as he was as he was being dragged out of 54 below and like up the stairs, um, the stairs and like all the nooks and crannies of the space is where like everyone who is in the Christmas extravaganza, um, oh you know, waits. and so he had to go through like the sexy Virgin Mary and literal Santa Claus and, you know, reindeers as he was being dragged out. <laughs> and then all of them just like barricaded the door so he wouldn't come back in. And it's like, this is like, this is what Christmas means to me, you know, having, <laughs> having 
some rowdy audience member gets thrown out of a of a nightclub on 54th Street by the the, the icons of Christmas, you know. Yeah. Was his name Michael by any chance? No. It's um <laughs> no. no. Yeah, okay. that would be that would be too good. Yeah, um, that would that would be too on the nose there. But but, but that's not the experience we have with most audience members. Most audience members are uh pleasantly uh pleasantly soused. You know? <laughs> Pleasantly soused. I like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so you said that this is based off kind of like the idea of the whether it's on TV or on stage, um, these these Christmas specials of of years yeah. gone by. Other than like the ones you mentioned earlier as kind of being direct inspirations, do you have a favorite Christmas special or anything like that? Whether it's something that influenced this or not, just something that you hold dear to yourself. Well, I love, um, I, I already mentioned it, but I love the Pee Wee Playhouse Christmas special. I, I think it's really the top of the tops. Uh, I love Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, uh, which also really heavily influenced this. And then as far as Christmas episodes of shows, I really think the 80s were the, um, that was kind of like the peak of the Christmas episode to me. And so uh, the, for people who love Christmas episodes, the ALF Christmas episode is a really uh, oh, yeah. famous one um, because it is so unspeakably depressing. Um, so I, I, like the, <laughs> I like the tension of a of a show that's basically for kids with the Christmas episode that is uh, just about children dying uh, in a very horrible way. Um, so, yeah, I love those are all those are all good ones. You know, it's just gonna keep going. But also Christmas movies, too. You know, I'm just such a sucker for a Christmas movie. I love the great ones. I love the bad ones. Um, the you know, the Hallmark Christmas movies, they're fun. They're a little bit like samey for me. But like, I love a Christmas with the cranks. I love the family stone. Mm -hmm. I love anything that's like taking groups of people and putting them in a house together and and, uh, you know, adding like fuel to the fire. And so there, there's elements of all of these things in the in the Christmas extravaganza. So in the extravaganza, there are traditional Christmas songs. There are new yeah. Christmas songs. What's the mm -hmm. mix and, and how do you balance it? I assume it does it change every year based off who you've got doing what? Like, what? how does that work? It's I mean, it's actually very similar to the Radio City show in that we sort of have the classic moments, right? We have the classic set pieces and characters that exist only in the extravaganza land. Um, and then there's new things every year. And, and you know, and it, it also there's something very sort of like it's like an old school follies or something where it's like, you know, oh, gosh, we got to dust off the hard candy Christmas number this year. It's looking a little stale. You know, we have to think of some new costumes <laughs> or something like that one. Um, and so it's it's a mix. It is predominantly holiday songs that you will know. It is sort of reinvented versions of holiday classics. And then a few uh, a few originals of mine, but it's really light on originals. And then lots of kind of mini songs uh, that have to do with musical theater moments that happen in the show. But for the most part, it's like uh, you know, we do Dolly Parton's with bells on. We do All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, we do Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, my number one all-time favorite Christmas song. And so it's um, it's it's really like songs that, for the most part, uh, people will feel like they want to sing along to, and they are encouraged to do so, except if it's like a ballad. You know, like I actually have a a talk with the audience at the top of the show, and it always goes really well. Um, and, you know, sort of because you said people are sort of in this party, you know, holiday atmosphere, which we're trying to cultivate. It's like if you're having a good time, if it's an uptempo song where you where you're seeing, you know, 15 people sing in the aisles and they're encouraging you to sing. Absolutely pipe up. If it is this song that's like a ballad, 
that one woman is, you know, singing at the center mic in a spotlight with a single tear streaming down her face. Do not sing along to that song. It's just like use your common sense about what you can and cannot sing along to. And uh, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to get back to this idea of family because the Iconis family is now legendary in in theater circles. But I've always wanted to know. What does it take to be a member? Is it a point system like equity? Do you have to be nominated and seconded? Is there an induction ceremony? What does it take to be a member of the Joe Iconis family? It's, you know, it's a question that I've been asked many times and there's no, there's no real, there's no real answer. You know, it's so funny because it all kind of started uh, because it was like, I, you know, I was, I, I love, I love actors. I love you know, fellow artists, it, it sounds like a no brainer for a, for a, a, a writer to say, I love actors, but not all writers do. And I, I love the idea of collaborating, you know, with an actor in the same way that I would, uh, a writer. And so I would, you know, I was doing these concerts and, and, um, and I was performing with a similar group of people that would, you know, sort of expand and contrast each time. And, and at the time when I started doing these shows, uh, you know, there there wasn't as quite a vibrant musical theater concert scene as there is now. But at the the time, you know, I kept seeing a lot of a lot of people performing with you know groups of like of of musical theater uh, performers who uh, who were like the musical theater performers that happened to be like fancy that year. You know, it was like this writer would get a whole bunch of you know musical theater quote unquote stars who were like the ones who were you know in the hot musicals that year and it would be like um you know musical theater writer's name and friends. Uh, like you know and that's what everything was called and I would just look at these posters and be like those people aren't your friends. You're not like hanging out with Kelly O'Hara, you know, what are you talking about. And I would be like I'm actually performing with people who are who are part of my life and friends. And so it was kind of like, let's like just call, let's call it the family, you know, which is what it is, which actually feels like it actually represents how I, how I, you know, interact with these people who I perform with. And, and over the years, it just kind of grew into this thing. And I think because it is, it's, it's not about like it being a club, you know, it's not about it being this thing that's like excluding people. It's really, it's just like a bus that like, if you want to, you know, hop on it and you have the same ideals and you think about theater and art in the same way that that we all do, then you're, you know, you're, you're just kind of welcome until you don't want to, don't want to do it anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's so hard to talk about it and not have it sound like a cult. I've tried and it's just <laughs> like, every time it's like, man, I really sound like a cult leader when I'm talking about this thing, but, um, but it's, you know, it's like, it's very, it's very organic, you know, it really, it, it really, really is. And it's, and it's just like, I, I love making musicals. I love, uh, you know, getting my hands dirty and getting in a room with other artists and collaborating with them and making stuff. And again, it sounds like a no brainer if you're in the theater, but it, it really is rare, you know, and it's not about it's not about money. It's not about, you know, uh, the the credentials of the people involved. It's not about the uh, real estate uh, with which we, at, at, you know, that we are doing the show in. It's just about making the show and connecting with uh, with other artists and with an audience, and so it's like that. That is the thing that sort of connects the people who are who are you know sort of known as part of the family. And what I love about it is like you know there are plenty of people who are in the family who are you know quite young and have never done anything. People who have been in the business for you know 20, 30 years who have yet to like have their big break. And people like you know Annie Golden and Betty Buckley and 
uh, you know, it's like Andrew Barth Feldman is doing this, this, you know, the Christmas show. This is his first Christmas show, even though I've known him for years and years and years. Um, and he, you know, he's like in rehearsal and it's like, okay, who wants to, you know, be part of the, you know, this number where you're like, uh, you know, pretend ice dancing and there's 15 other people. And he's like, me, 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 me. And it's just like, this guy is like, his face is on my Netflix when I open it up. And he is the most like, oh yeah, let's, you know, let's do it. Let's go for it kind of person. Uh, and that is, that is the thing that, you know, sort of joins all of these uh, people where it's like, you know, it's people who are not eye rollers, you know, in theater, I feel like there's a lot of people who are just over, you know, and it's like, oh, I have to do this concert tonight. Ugh, I can't believe it. And it's like, that is just so not me, you know? And it's like, if that's you, great, but it's not me. And it's not the people that I surround myself with. And, uh, and that I think is the thing that kind of makes the, makes the the family, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If there's ever been somebody who has never done one of your shows that feels like he would fit into your world, it's Andrew Barth Feldman. Like he feels like he is just a natural with you guys. I know, I know that kid, you know, I saw him in a product, like a child production of Rent that my brother directed on Long Island years and years and years ago. And he played Roger and it was the most just like, oh, that kid who played Roger was really, really good. And it was like, he's almost like he seems old before his time. Like when I first saw him, I was like, I don't think he could ever play a kid because he's just so mature. Um, but yeah, he's just like, he's amazing. But you know, the whole thing is like the Muppets. It's like, there's not to get in the Muppets. Like you don't need to pass the test, right? You're just, you're a Muppet or you're not. And that's how I feel like it is with the, the family. <laughs> I love that. Well, yeah, I want to take a quick detour away from Christmas, if you'll permit me, because just, I guess, a little less than two months ago, you ended a run of a new show, the untitled, unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson musical. And mm -hmm. again, kind of like Andrew and the family, when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, this material feels perfectly made for a Joe Iconis show. So now that mm -hmm. you've had a couple months since the end of the run, how do you feel about everything? How did it how did it go? And if you if there's anything you can say about what might be next for it, uh, we would love to hear that, too, obviously. Yeah, the, you know, it went so well. It's a show that's been in my life for so, 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 so many years. You know, I first had the idea to write it in 2007. And that's when I was commissioned by La Jolla Playhouse. I was the first show ever commissioned by Chris Ashley. He had just taken over as the artistic director. And uh, and it just took so long for it to get to the stage for various reasons that are all very boring. But the production itself uh, was just it went so well. I'm so proud of it. People really dug it. You know, it's the story of it's ostensibly the story of of Hunter S. Thompson, uh, who is, you know, a gonzo uh, journalist, a counterculture hero, uh, you know, sort of rose to fame in the 60s and 70s. He wrote Fear and Loving in Las Vegas and Hell's Angels and so many other things. And it's so much about uh, what was going on in America then and how it relates to what's going on in America now. And it's really kind of like the the um, the anti bio musical, you know, it sort of like pretends to be a bio musical, but it's really about uh, about more than that. And it's a really wild show. And Hunter S. Thompson narrates it. And the vibe is kind of like it's actually my most Muppety musical by far. You know, it's sort oh. of like the the Muppets present uh, American history to use <laughs> what it feels like. Um, and Richard Nixon is uh, is the villain of the show. You know, Hunter S. Thompson Naturally. hated Nixon, yeah, so much. 
And so in our show, Richard Nixon comes to kind of like stand in for like every, you know, every adversity that Hunter S. Thompson faced, every sort of cruel, you know, authority figure in his life is personified by this like, you know, like devilish vaudevillian style Richard Nixon played by George Abood. Um, yeah. And I'm just really, really stoked. You know, the the audiences at La Jolla uh, really, really loved it. People seem to dig it. Um, all sorts of people seem to dig it, you know, age wise and 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 people from different walks of life. And so, um, yeah, I'm really hopeful that it will it will travel to another theater. I'm really hoping that it will be in a theater that will allow me to sleep in my own bed while I'm working on the show. That's the <laughs> goal. Uh, that is the goal. Hopefully it will happen. And, you know, I just think I it's it's you know, it's hard, man, because it's like writing musicals writing, you know, original musicals or musicals that aren't based on uh, previously existing, um, uh, you know, famous big IP and musicals that don't have large corporations behind them. It's just, it's hard to get them on. It's hard to get them on at, you know, like fancy nonprofit off-Broadway theaters. It's hard to get them on in the theaters where I always thought like, aren't these the theaters that are supposed to be doing the stuff that like isn't, by you know famous people or corporations um but it's like you know it's 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 just a rough time out there and so i'm um i'm i'm really feeling like our show which i think has something to say and i think says it pretty well and fairly entertainingly uh can find can find a place because you know sometimes i'll see something and i'm just like you know i mean my show's not any worse than that i don't know if it's better but it's like (laughs) so like give us a shot why don't you you know yeah Oh, I love that. Well, um, I'll wrap it up here. I, I know that there's unbelievable amounts of craziness coming in the extravaganza, and I don't want to spoil anything. But mm-hmm. if there is a moment that you are most excited for audiences to see later this week, can you at least give us an idea as to what that is without giving away too much, but uh, letting people know if there's one thing you're most looking forward to everybody seeing? I'm most looking forward to everybody seeing the last 10 minutes of the show um, because it's, and the last 10 minutes of the show has remained unchanged from the first year. Mm. Uh, But I think there's something about the overwhelmingness of the whole experience. You know, it's a two hour show and, uh, and there's a lot of show and a lot of people and there's, uh, you know, there's funny parts and there's, uh, and there's, you know, sort of touching quiet parts and it's you go on a real journey. And then I think the end of the show just really gets to the heart of why we why we come to the theater, why we're in the theater. And, you know, I love I love stuff that breaks down the barrier between the 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 stage and the audience. You know, I'm so of the belief that it's like when we're in the theater, we're all in one room. And like, you know, if the actors were performing and there was no audience, there wouldn't be a show. And if the audience was there and there were no actors, there wouldn't be a show. And it's like, we all need each other. And so it's like, let's not pretend like we're not all sharing the same space. And I think that the thing that was the hardest for me about, about you know, COVID is like my, my whole life is about like making things so people can be in a room and share it together and then it's gone. And, you know, to have that back finally, after all of these years, you know, even though we don't like talk about it, like it's not, you're not going to come to the show and like hear a lot of, you know, COVID nonsense, but like, um, uh, it, but like to just have the experience of being back in the room with as many people as we have, uh, just, you know, performing and singing something that I think is really heartfelt and, and, uh, and honest and true. 
and celebratory, uh, I think it's going to feel cathartic and uh, just really, really good for people in a, in a crazy time in our, in our history. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a perfect message for the holidays, whatever holidays you celebrate. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I appreciate you talking about it. I am am pumped to be able to check it out. And uh, I hope all six of the shows, no matter what different (laughs) 50 people are in them, uh, go incredibly well for you. Thank you, my friends.